it has been my custom on taking a new chapter, taking up a new chapter in our series in the book of Judges as in other books. It has been my custom to read the entirety of the chapter, at least at the first, and I have not done that intentionally. I had taken up and have preached now some two or three messages from verse 1 through verse 4 without reading the chapter. But now today it is my design to read the entire chapter and I hope that you will not be lost in the verbiage that you'll follow with me and understand from this entire chapter the scene and the context or the messages that will follow. Judges chapter 14 And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I've seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren, or among all thy people, that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistine? Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she is right in mine eyes. But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. For at that time the Philistines had Dominion over Israel. Then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath and behold a young lion roared against him. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he rent him as he would have rent a kid and he had nothing in his hand. But he told not his father or his mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. And after a time he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof in his hands and he went on eating and he came to his father and mother and he gave them and they did eat. But he told them not that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So his father went down unto the woman and Samson made there a feast for so used the young men to do. And it came to pass when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. And Samson said unto them, I will now put forth a riddle unto you, 
If ye can certainly declare it me within the seven days of the feast and find it out, I will give you thirty sheets and thirty change of garments. But if ye cannot declare it me, then ye shall give me thirty sheets and thirty change of garments. And they said unto him, Put forth thy riddle, that we may hear it. And he said unto them, Out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. And they could not in three days expound the riddle. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice thy husband that he may declare unto us the riddle, lest we burn thee and thy father's house with fire. Have ye called us to take that that we have? Is it not so? And Samson's wife wept before him and said, Thou dost but hate me and lovest me not. Thou hast put forth a riddle under the children of my people and hast not told it to me. And he said unto her, Behold, I have not told it my father nor my mother, and shall I tell it thee? And she wept before him seven days while their feast lasted. And it came to pass on the seventh day that he told her. Because she lay sore upon him. And she told the riddle to the children of her people. And the men of the city said unto him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said unto them, If ye had not plowed with my heifer, ye had not found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ackleton, Ashkelton, and slew thirty men of them, and took their spoil and gave change of garments unto them which expounded the riddle. And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. But Samson's wife, was given to his companion, whom he had used as his friend. Turn with me, if you will, please. Before we look together at the scripture again, turn with me. Hymn number 242 and stand with me. And we sing again in preparation to the message. Hymn number 242. Hosanna to the Prince of Life Who clothed himself in clay Entered the iron gates of death and tore the bars away. Death is no more the king 
of bread, says our Emmanuel rose. He took the tyrant's sting away, and all our hellish foes. See how the conqueror mounts aloft, and to his father flies. With scars of honor in his flesh, and triumph in his eyes. There our exalted Savior reigns, and scatters blessings down. Our Jesus fills the middle sea of the celestial Raise your devotion, mortal tongues, to reach his blessed abode. Sweet be the accents of your songs to our incarnate God. Bright angels strike your loudest strings, your sweetest voices raise. Let heaven and all created things sound our Emmanuel's praise. Thank you. Be seated. On last week, we began to look at this 14th chapter of the record of Israel's judges and that this particular judge, Samson. I had announced my intent and design in looking at this record to be primarily concerned with finding in it Christ. Above all else, making it my supreme occupation, in the words of 1 Corinthians 2 and 2, making it my supreme occupation not to know anything among you save Christ and Him crucified. In the pursuit of that design, I had begun to lay before your hearts the glorious typology wrapped up in the astounding character of this man, Samson. I have already pointed out for our attention three of the unavoidable aspects of typological usefulness in this man, Samson. In that first message, I have already pointed to three typological aspects of this man. I gave you, first of all, that his coming was determined and declared long beforehand as was that of our Lord Jesus Christ. And 
that his arrival was specifically purposed to be for Israel's deliverance. Of course, in Samson, it was for Israel as a nation, their national deliverance. But in our Lord Christ, it is the deliverance of spiritual Israel. So there is this blessed typology of Samson that he was announced, determined, and delivered, declared to be coming for Israel's deliverance. Then secondly, I gave you in this typology that he went down. (laughs) Oh, and how blessed is that thought to my own heart. Verse 5, and Samson went down. Oh, the glory and the wonder of this. Samson went down to fetch a woman, a daughter of the Philistines, uncircumcised, she's called, to be of an uncircumcised nation, Gentiles. What a prefiguring of that Gentile bride. He went down for the purpose of having her for himself. Hmm. He chose her, I pointed out to you. He chose her without her knowledge or solicitation. (laughs) He chose her, I said, for two things. To destroy his enemies, verse 4, and to please his own purposes, verse 3. What a blessed truth. Nothing below the heavens above on this earth will ever explain why he did this. Nothing except this. He chose to destroy his enemies and he chose to please himself. That is the core of the gospel. And then thirdly, and I fear all too briefly, I pointed you to this symbol, this type, this shadow, that he secured the Father's ordination. He went to his Father, verse 2, to secure his ordination to the purpose. And of course we turn to John chapter 10 and to John chapter 12 and pointed out that it is the one and the same. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one. I do the works of my Father. And we saw the unity between the Father And the son, nothing is done, nothing is done. But what the father has ordained and will order. What a blessed typology is that. And now today we continue our search into the life of this 
representative judge, this noble type. We search to find his value, not just to Israel, but to point us to Christ. I give you, fourthly, as a symbol, as a type, as a shadow, I would point your heart to the fact that he made ready a feast in honor of her consummation with him. He made ready a feast in honor of her consummation with him. Verse 10, So his father went down unto the woman, and Samson made there a feast. For so used the young men to do. The word feast was interesting to me. In the Hebrew, it is a noun that often is translated in other places, banquet. But what's interesting to me was that it derives from another, the noun derives from a verb that means to drink. And from a noun, another noun that means a drink. And thus, this event that's declared to be is an occasion for drink. Not as we might think in America, typically in our Western thinking, not in a carnal sense of revelry. But as it were, we might possibly consider the type of a of a toast, if you please. This is an occasion, this word feast is an occasion for an official drink. He made ready a feast, Samson did, to honor her consummation with him. These nuptial feasts usually lasted in these times seven to ten days. This nuptial feast. And might I set before you today that it is a glorious picture. This in verse 10 is a glorious type. It's a glorious shadow of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before I look with you at the feast, could I just pause and point your heart to the wording at the beginning of that verse 10 again? So his father went down unto the woman. <laughs> oh, surely he did. In this profound typology, the father went down to the woman. Surely he did. In our blessed antitype, antitype, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He was the Father come down. I quoted you earlier, John chapter 10 and verse 30. Did he not say, I and my Father are one? Did he not say in John 10 and verse 38, the Father is in me and I in him? Did he not say in John chapter 14, John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Hmm. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And Jesus said unto him, Have you been so long time with me? And hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then? Show us the Father. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, the Father in me? And the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Oh yes, the Father came down. The Father came down in the person of the Son. They are one. This, could I just say, this truth, this doctrine, this reality, this is an ocean of truth too deep. It's a continent of knowledge too vast. It is a universe of divinity too expansive. It is a galaxy of constellations too brilliant for mortal eyes to ponder or mortal souls to traverse. And even in our glorified state, its wonder will eternally dazzle, delight, and dwarf the sanctified minds of immortal souls. This unity of the Father and the Son. We are one. Oh, if you've seen me, he said, you've seen the Father. <laughs> you say, explain it. I can't. I can't. It's too expansive. It's a divinity too expansive. It's a knowledge too vast. It's a continent too big. I can't explain it. But I know this, it's so the Father, the Father came down. Verse 10, the Father came down. So the Father went down. But verse 10, it was Samson that made the feast. <laughs> hey, hey, it was Samson. Samson made the feast. Oh, blessed be our God. What a type, what a type is this. Samson made a feast. What a type of that that we read of in that day of, that final day in Revelation chapter 19. After these things, I heard a great voice of such much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power 
unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah! And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Hallelujah! Amen! Hallelujah! And the voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his saints, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard it as it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as of the voice of a mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready, blessed be the Lord. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in linen, fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Verse 9, he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they that are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, the Son has prepared a feast. The Son has prepared a feast. What a blessed type. What a blessed type is Samson here. What a blessed type is Samson here in verse 10. The Father has come down in the person of the Son, but the Son has prepared a feast for his people. Some of you may tire of me using that expression as much as I do when I often, and I can't help it, I often say hallelujah, hallelujah. I suppose you'd better adjust yourself to it. Because I hear a lot of it in heaven. I hear a lot of it in heaven. Hallelujah. <laughs> Before the throne. What's this scene? Why are they shouting hallelujah at this scene? Because the son has prepared a feast. For his bride. Oh how rich. How rich in the light of this typology in Samson. How infinitely rich is every word of that blessed story in Matthew chapter 22. When the Lord Jesus asked and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. He sent forth his servants and called them that were bidden to the wedding. They would not come. You know the story. He sent forth others. He said, Behold, verse 4, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed and all the things are ready. Come to the marriage. They made light of it and went their ways. The remnant took his servants and treated them spitefully. But the king heard of it and he was wroth. And then said he to his servants, The wedding is ready, verse 8. 
But they which are bidden were not worthy. Go therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid them to the marriage. Hallelujah. That's where I keep. That's where I come in. A Gentile. That's where we come in. Gentiles. They wouldn't have him. He prepared. Oh, he said, oh, he said, I've, I've furnished everything. I've killed the fatted calf. I've killed the oxen and the fatlings and I've prepared my dinner. I've furnished everything. Go out in the highways, he said. Oh, and bid all that will. Come on. Come on. That's what happened that day down here in the country church. He came by and bid us come. Come on in. I prepared a feast. Israel wouldn't come, but I'm opening it up for you. Come on. Oh, hallelujah. He said in verse 8, the wedding is ready. But they wouldn't come. So his servants went out in the highways and gathered together all as many as they found. Both good and bad in the wedding was furnished with guests. Hallelujah. Thank God for the blessed typology here. Oh, Samson, what a glorious time. Prepare a feast. I cannot but note with you, I cannot but note again the great parallel between the one record here and our Lord's prophetic words in Matthew 22. There in Matthew 22, there were guests invited who like those companions in our own record of Judges 14, were later not only expelled, but destroyed. Hmm. What great typology is on open display here. This is one of those shadows whose presence in the divine record prefigures what our Lord speaks of in Matthew 15. This is one of those shadows which prefigures our Lord's record in Matthew 15 of the crumbs that are given to dogs. Crumbs given to dogs in Christ's Gentile bride. Oh, <laughs> These cast out in Matthew 22 made way for the children of the bride, Matthew 9, 15, and for the friends of the bridegroom, John 3 and verse 29. Whoa, thank God eternally for this blessed invitation. Thank God for this divinely appointed vacancy. Hallelujah. <laughs> a divinely appointed vacancy. Come on in to the feast. Hallelujah. But now, 
I must move on. In our next view of the type glorious typology in this record of Samson, I would give you number five, that his nuptial design resulted in the destroying of the line and making honey in the very carcass of death. <laughs> Hallelujah, what typology is this? His nuptial desire, it pleased his purposes, resulted in the destroying of a lion and making honey <laughs> in the very carcass of death. Verse 5 and 6, So Samson went down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath and behold a young lion roared against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he rent him as he had would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hand. Verse 8, And after a time he returned to take her and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion and behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof in his hands and went on eating and came to his father and mother and gave them and they did eat. His nuptial designs brought him to destroy the lion and make honey in the carcass of death. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. I hope I don't have to prompt your heart too keenly for you to suck the sweetness out of this blessed typology. Paul walked us right in to the wondrous fulfillment of this type when he said in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Hallelujah. Now that he ascended, what is it? But he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Oh yes. Oh yes. That he might fill all things. He gave some apostles and prophets for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. Oh, he descended. He descended for what purpose? To destroy the works of the devil, to lead captivity captive. He destroyed the line. So that from his very carcass, he could make the sweetest honey. Oh, yeah. 
in the carcass of death, he made the sweetest honey. Psalm chapter 68. Psalm chapter 68. The psalmist prefiguring all of this in Psalm 68. And verse 16 said these words, Why leap ye, ye high hills? This is the hill which God desired to dwell in. Yea, the Lord that dwelt in it forever will dwell in it forever. The chariots of God are twenty thousand, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them, as in Sinai in the holy place. Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men. Hallelujah. Yes, can I just tell you, gifts for men, the Honey's flowing now because he led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also that the Lord God might dwell among them. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. How did he do that? Oh, he killed the lion. All this prefigured by the psalmist in Psalm 68. Oh, blessed be our God. Our Samson has crushed the lion. Though it is true in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 that he still roars loud in this day. Yes, he still roars loud in this day. But oh, he has crushed his head. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 17. And again I saw him. I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me. Saying unto me. Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Oh bless his holy name. He's defeated. and Crushed. The lion defeated and crushed the lion. I hope this morning, with as I said, without a great deal of prompting from me, I hope you can suck the honey out of this rock this morning. Oh, I hope you can suck the honey out of this rock. He's promised to feed us. In Psalm 81 and verse 16, he's promised to feed us with the finest of wheat and honey out of the rock. <laughs> I think Brother John might have said it at some point. I don't remember exactly. But I used to listen to it myself on the radio years and years and years ago. We used to listen to little Roy Lewis singing that song, There's Honey in the Rock for Me. Hallelujah. Psalm 81, 16. He said, I'll feed them with the finest of wheat. Honey out of the rock. This is better than honey out of a rock. This is honey out of the carcass of the lion. Hallelujah. Oh, what a blessed view is this. How it helps our souls. It will help our souls. If we just 
come to the river to cross. Oh, eat the honey out of this carcass. Our Samson has killed the lion. <laughs> Dear old Willis, and I'm finished this book. Brother Gormley gave me. Dear old Willis, and in the last message in this collection of messages, he's bringing a message on the believer's dignity by being heirs of God. <laughs> and the Lord enables him to look through, peep through, as it were, the blinds of this flesh and see the heaven of heavens and see the Lamb that's destroying the lion. <laughs> Willison wrote in 1742 these words, talking about the fact that sometimes God allows His children just to get a glimpse of it. He said sometimes with Moses, they're allowed to come to the top of Pisgah to view this promised land. And this is most satisfying. At other times with Abraham, they are admitted as it were to walk through it and to hear God say, all this is thine. And all is made over to thee in Christ. And this fills the air of heaven, the airs of heaven with joy unspeakable and full of glory. I ask you again this morning, can you suck the honey out of this rock? Oh, if not, throw your heart down at the cross and plead for mercy. Willison says that in this text, they are called heirs of God. And I confess I never rightly understood that phrase. I thought I understood it, but I understood it wrong until I heard what Willison preached. He said they're called heirs of God. God Himself is their heritage. As this is more than to say that they are heirs both of heaven and earth. I will be your God, he said. He said this is the most comprehensive promise in the whole Bible. It imports an interest in all the blessings and promises of the new covenant and in all the purchase and fullness of Christ, in all the gifts and graces of the Holy Spirit, in all the divine attributes and perfections. When the Lord saith to the heirs of salvation, I will be thy God. How great is the inheritance he bequeathed to them. It's more than if he had made over to them a thousand heavens and ten thousand worlds. For saith he, I give thee omnipotent Jehovah. I make over myself unto you in all my essential perfections. Oh, I make over my omnipotence. It shall be your guard. 
My omniscience shall be your overseer. My omnipresence, your companion. My bounty, your store. My wisdom, your counselor. My justice, your rewarder. My holiness, your fountain of grace. My unchangeableness, the rock of your security. My all-sufficiency, your inheritance. And my eternity is the date of your happiness. Hallelujah. Surely, oh believer, <laughs> says Wilson, surely, oh believer, the lines are falling to you in pleasant places and you have got a goodly heritage. God hath given you himself. Oh, oh, but to view it, Wilson said, the wonderfulness of this grace, the wonderfulness, I love that expression, the wonderfulness of this grace. <laughs> the wonderfulness of this grace appears in that he adopts us to be his sons and heirs when he needed us not. You see, he said men adopt sons because they are childish and need some to propagate their family. To keep their name and to perpetuate their need, their, their, their memories. But our eternal father adopts children and heirs though he had a natural and eternal son of his own. Who's the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, a son in whom his soul delighted. And although he could have been infinitely happy without us, and needed no accession to his glory. We stood in need of a father. But he stood not in need of a son. Hey, Amen. Could you just let that soak in? We stood in need of a father. But he had no need for a son. He had an eternal son. That was ever blessed. But he adopted us. Oh, he said, the wonderfulness of this grace appears in that he chooses these to be his sons and heirs who have nothing to recommend them, but are utterly unworthy of this dignity and privilege. Men usually adopt those who are their kindred or who are their friends kindred or relatives. But God shows this favor to rebels, to enemies, to traitors, to Satan's slaves and hell there. Men adopt these in whom they see or at least they think they see Something of worth. Mordecai adopted Esther because she was fair. But God adopts those who are naturally most vile and unworthy. Yea, despicable as worms. Loathsome as carcasses. Deformed as monsters. Black as Ethiopians. Diseased as lepers. Having nothing to engage his love. But everything to provoke his loathing and his hatred. He adopted. Oh, the wonderfulness of this grace. 
I'm trying to talk to you about the wonderfulness of this grace. Oh, he said the wonderfulness of this grace is seen that he should be at such, that he should be at such a charge and a cost in adopting us. Men, he said, are at no pains about adopting. They draw up a writ. They sign it and seal it and it's done. Wasn't that easy? <laughs> Just draw up the papers. I'll sign them. We'll seal it and it's done. He said that's how men do adoption. But infinite wisdom and infinite power must be set to work to make us sons. Oh, eternity must be spent in contriving the method. The eternal Son of God must die to bring it about and the charter of our adoption must be sealed with His own precious blood. Never was it heard that any man let his only son suffer and die to adopt an enemy. But this the great God hath done, which is the wonder of the redeemed, the wonder of angels, and it will be the wonder of eternity. Finally, he said the wonderfulness of this grace is seen in that he exalts those whom he adopts to such high dignity and honor. For God to have pardoned his enemies, for God to have pardoned his enemies and delivered them from going to hell, that had been much. For him to have taken his enemies and made them his friends and favorites would have been even more. But for God to take his mortal enemies into his bosom and make them his sons and heirs of his kingdom, yea, beautify them with his image, value them with his jewels, entitle them to his kingdom, make them co-heirs with his beloved son, is such a prodigy of love as surpasses all human comprehension. To have advanced one of the blessed cherubs or a seraphim so high would have been a stupendous act of grace. But to take a lump of polluted dust, a cursed sinner, a wretch as black as hell could make him and raise him so high, yea, above the brightest cherub in glory in eternity. An astounding wonder of free love. Oh, I'm telling you, I'm just trying to talk to you about the fact that our Samson has killed the lion. And oh, honey, blessed honey is blowing out of the carcass. Honey. Hallelujah. What a time. What a time. Some get so bogged down with all the controversy, they miss the glory of it. His nuptial design involved destroying a lamb and making honey out of the rotted corpse of death 
And by so doing, he made his sworn enemies his sons. <laughs> oh, glory, what a gospel is this. What a gospel is this. What a beautiful gospel is this. What a type. What a type is Samson of this Savior. We'll take it up again next week, God willing. See again more times. Turn with me. If you will in your hymn book to number 244. And stand with me while we sing together now. For a tune of lofty praise to great Jehovah's equal son. Awake my voice in heavenly lays. And tell the wonders he hath done. Stand with me please. Yeah. 